Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning and dedicated to being in right relationship with one another, with ourselves, and with the planet. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so, if you are here in this room, we greet the divine by turning to our neighbors and welcoming them here. And if we are on the live stream, we greet the divine by putting a greeting in the comments, if we have comments. the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship today is called A Network of Mutuality. It's by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied to a single garment of destiny. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. There are some things in our social system to which all of us ought to be maladjusted, Hatred and bitterness can never cure the disease of fear. Only love can do that. We must evolve for all human conflict a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. This congregation has decided to answer the question, what are we doing here for itself? by writing a mission statement that we wrote on the wall and we like to say it together. It helps us make our decisions as we move into the future. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Every time we say our um, mission statement, um, we have a moment for beloved community when we talk about something in our culture that we might not be aware of, and we try to raise our awareness because we as Unitarian Universalists don't like any kind of knowledge to sneak past us. We don't like anybody to pull the wool over our eyes about anything, and so we... Um, as people of color and as people who identify as white, are swimming in a culture of white supremacy that's sometimes not subtle, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, and sometimes it's very subtle in that we can't really see it unless we train ourselves to see it. And so um, we are talking about the eighth proposed Unitarian Universalist principle. The sermon's about the seventh principle, but we have an eighth proposed one, um, and I'm going to read it to you here. It says, We the member congregations covenant to affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and in our institutions. So I'm going to talk all about this next week, 
But today I'm just going to talk about the last phrase, in ourselves and in our institutions. Because you can have racism without racists. Did you know that? Nobody has to be a racist in their heart at all, even though many people are and everybody's got a little bit. Um, But our institutions are themselves racist and set up to be that way, either on purpose or unwittingly. But if you read the book that the board has been reading called The Sum of Us, you see that it's a lot of it's on purpose. And some of it has logical explanations, and some of it just doesn't. And so we have racism in ourselves, and we're called to accountably dismantle that racism in ourselves when we notice it. We don't have to shame ourselves. It doesn't It doesn't come with a death sentence. It's just, oh, that thought was a little bit racist. Um, Maybe I can do better next time. Or, oh my goodness, what I said, or that person made a joke that was kind of racist and I didn't say anything. What might I say next time? And what we're recommended to say is, I'm sorry, hearing that kind of thing is against my religion. But our institutions themselves, from the practice of redlining in real estate where a black family could not buy a house in certain neighborhoods and then were steered to other neighborhoods. Um, This happened with Jewish families too, by the way, Um, and could not join certain clubs or unions in order to make a living where certain black GIs were told that they could maybe get the GI Bill, but their um, applications were somehow lost or never responded to. There has been a whole movement of uh, wealth throughout the generations in families that identify as white. But that movement of wealth wealth has been um, blocked in families of color. Um, I could go on and on and on about our institutions. I just have to say I was filling out a form that had to do with banks and mortgages and that kind of thing um, last week. And they asked me, I know for for the government count and they have to keep statistics, but they asked me, was I Latina or was I black or was I Caucasian? And I found myself relieved to be able to say Caucasian. And I thought, how does someone feel when they put something else down? Do they feel like I'm never going to get this mortgage? Or do they feel like this bank is not going to loan me this money? Um, Or do they know that the bank has to? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And I have not had the experience of being in a body of color. I just know that I had anxiety as a person who identifies as white about it. And I have to confess that. So we are supposed to dismantle this in our institutions and dismantle this in ourselves. May it be so and may we make progress. Good morning. I'm going to read us a story that tells us why we're connected to rainbows. Should we do that? Everything is connected. And since you are part of everything, you are connected to everything. Even songs about rainbows. You are connected to a human body, to hands and eyeballs, teeth and toes, elbows, a butt, and even a nose to a heart and some lungs and a strange-looking stomach and a brain that's so smart there's no peak it can't summit. 
But you're not just a body. You're bigger than that. You're connected to people, to everybody, to moms and to dads, to sisters and brothers, uncles and cousins, grandfathers, grandmothers. You're connected to friends and to teachers at school and even to people you don't think are cool. You're connected to people in Denver and Maine, in Paris and Baghdad, to strangers in Spain. You're connected to every human on earth. Wow! And they are connected to you. You're also connected to hedgehogs. (laughs) And cats and dogs and squirrels and birds, rabbits and cows and deer by the herds. Monkeys, tarantulas, dolphins, and snakes. Friend, you're connected to every big, small, hairy, slimy, snuggly, scaly, floppy, flappy, bristly, buzzy, beautiful creature on earth. Even blobfish. Blobfish, you say? Surely not that. They don't look like me, talk like me, or act like me. And they probably stink. But you see, we're connected. We all play a part. In life, we're the same. We're all blobfish at heart. (laughs) Now, this next part, though bonkers, is true, I'm afraid. You're connected to everything humans have made. To toys and to playgrounds. That's good, right? Books and to chairs, gardens and medicine, language and prayers, buildings and bicycles, buses, balloons, hammers and paintbrushes, tractors and spoons. (gasps) but also in rainbows, but also to chicken pox, bullies, and lies, to greed and pollution and trash piled high. You're not just connected to things that you like, things that are comfortable, easy, or nice. As a human, you're part of the everythingness. And sometimes it's scary and a big, ugly mess. But the good news, my dear, is that you are quite powerful. A force that's in everything, timeless and wowerful. Do you like that new word? You're even connected to things you can't see, the invisible world, for at least you and me, to cells, DNA, diseases and death, amoebas and gravity, atoms and breath, to hydrogen, nitrogen, nanobots too. You're connected to them. They're connected to you. You're connected to happy, connected to sad, to the past and the future, to thoughts you have had, to pharaohs, Ben Franklin, T-Rex, ancient Greece, to love and to poverty, hunger and peace, to Jesus and Buddha, Muhammad and Moses, to stories of aliens with noses like hoses. (laughs) You're connected to all that will be or has been. You're this very moment where all things begin. For you are the sun and the moon and the stars, Venus and Jupiter, Neptune and Mars, comets and galaxies, voids and black holes. You are the universe, perfect and whole. Our reading this morning is a responsive reading, so please turn to number 478 in the back of your gray hymnal. It's a prayer of sorrow from the United Nations Environmental Sabbath Service. We have forgotten who we are. We have alienated ourselves from the unfolding of the cosmos. 
We have become estranged from the movements of the earth. We have turned our backs on the cycles of life. We have sought only our own security. We have exploited simply for our own ends. We have distorted our knowledge. We have abused our power. Now the land is barren, and the waters are poisoned, and the air is polluted. Now the forests are dying, and the creatures are disappearing, and the humans are despairing. We ask forgiveness. We ask for the gift of remembering. We ask for the strength to change. This time in our service, we enter into an attitude of prayer and meditation together where we speak and listen to God as we understand God or where we listen to our inner wisdom or where we just watch our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. Let us enter into the wise silence together. Into this silence we bring our joys and our sorrows. We bring our distress over what's happening in Ukraine. We bring our desire to help and our not knowing what to do. We bring our guilt over having a nice bed and a nice breakfast while people are in the basement in Ukraine sheltering from missiles. We bring our joy in our lives knowing that we should not give it away as that does not help anybody. We bring all that we are into this silence and community. We ask for forgiveness, for clarity, for renewed hope, and for the knowledge of when to be energetic and when to rest. May it be so. You are now invited to light candles of joy or sorrow, hope or remembrance or determination.
In the Hindu scriptures, there's a description of the great god Indra's net in the universe. This is an infinite net, and at each node of the net, this great artificer has put a a jewel, a multifaceted jewel at every node in the net. And if you look closer at each jewel, you can see that all the jewels, infinite jewels, are reflected in this one, each one. The whole universe is in each part of this net. And we are all in the net, connected to the infinite universe. Our seventh principle, which says... um, We affirm and promote that we are in uh, the web, the network of, um, I have it written down here, but essentially it says in the network of everything, we are connected. And um, as as we look at our world, we know we're connected. This whole pandemic has shown us that if we are going to be safer, everybody needs to be healed. We can't really keep ourselves separate from the pandemic. And as we walk the seventh principle, we notice also that if you have a war in Ukraine, which is the breadbasket, one of the breadbaskets of the world, then you have a flour shortage in India and in the Middle East, and people can't make the bread that they're used to making because all of that wheat, a lot of that wheat, used to come from Ukraine It will again, but it's not coming right now. You see, all of us as connected in this, as Dr. King said, this inescapable network of mutuality. And what walking the seventh principle does for some people is um, we start paying attention to our carbon footprint. We start recycling things. We start trying to do our part to make the planet healthier um, for some people, it means that we, we try to get eggs from chickens that are not treated cruelly. It means we try to get our meat from animals who are not treated cruelty until they're killed. Um, you have to always remember that part. And for some people, it means that they try to eat a completely plant-based diet. So for health and also for compassion, to have a cruelty-free way of eating And yet, even if you only eat plants, you still have to be okay with uh, insects being killed so that the soybeans can grow and the wheat can grow and the cherry trees can grow. You're always killing the insects, too. So somehow we have to make our peace with this. There's an entomology professor at the University of Wyoming named Jeffrey Lockwood, and Jeffrey Lockwood happens to be a Unitarian Universalist. And so he is tasked, and he and his students are tasked, one of the things they have to try to do, is control the grasshopper population on the grasslands in order for the grasslands to be healthy, in order for things to grow, in order for the, um, the cattle to have grass to eat on the grasslands. The grasshoppers have to go. Not all the grasshoppers, but a lot of them have to go. And what a lot of Jeffrey Lockwood's colleagues were doing was just going and catching a grasshopper and spraying stuff on it in the lab and seeing what made it die. And then they would spray that stuff all over the grasslands 
to make the grasshoppers die. But what Jeffrey Lockwood did, I have to think because of his faith and because of the seventh principle, what he decided to do was he and his students started going out into the grasslands and kneeling on the rocky scrub and just taking movies of the grasshoppers, trying to get to know them, trying to feel their connection to the grasshoppers and see if that didn't increase his knowledge. See, Unitarian Universalist, he wanted to increase his knowledge. Other people do too, but we're like that. So he and his students watched hundreds of hours of film of the grasshoppers. And what they found out was that the grasshoppers um, do a lot of nothing. (laughs) The theory had been that they were in the sun warming up or then they would go to the shade and cool down and that that's what they were doing. But that's not what they're doing. They're just doing nothing. As far as they could tell. Now, he says, um, if you take a human filter uh, and look at this behavior, it's incomprehensible because the mortality rate of grasshoppers is 2% a day. So they're dying like flies. You know, well, no. (laughs) 2% a day. And... um, So you would think if this were a human thing, this would be an emergency and people would be hoarding resources and battling for resources and um, trying to reproduce like crazy and really kind of behaving the way we do in the modern world. But the grasshoppers are not doing any of this. They spend about three minutes in the hour eating. They don't seem that interested in reproducing. They're just doing nothing. They don't fight each other for stuff. And so all they do is just eat all the grass that the cattle need to eat. So when scientists are allowed to slow down or when they slow themselves down, when they have a different background from other scientists or when they um, have a different perspective, when they have maybe a philosophical bent, they start having shifts in their perspective. For example, in the Museum of Natural History, it used to be that the they would have all these uh, stuffed lions to represent the pride of lions. And because in the U.S., the male was expected to go out and bring home the bacon, they had the male lion going out, you know, hunting. And all the female lions were sitting around, you know, looking beautiful. And... Baking carrot cake. (laughs) But when somebody started to actually observe, when somebody who was connected to the the scientific world started to actually observe the lions, they saw that it was the lionesses who went out and hunted. And the male lions stayed back at the camp looking beautiful. (laughs) And um, so they had to change the whole diorama around to more accurately reflect reality. Now, um, when I was in seminary, I read lots of stories about archaeology, of course, because you're studying the history of everybody. And um, there was a, a dig in Crete where they were coming up with lots of different buildings and lots of different theories about what the buildings were for. And there was a kind of a secret 
room that only had a slit oh, that you could look into it from. And it had a table with runnels along the side, like for draining blood. And the male archaeologists, um, no fault of their own, they're in their own culture, um, they said, this is probably a room for sacrifice. And then when you started getting some female archaeologists, they looked at that and they went, this is a birthing room. This is where a woman would come to give birth, and there are fluids that come along with that. Everybody who's watched Call the Midwife knows there's this gush of <laughs> fluids, even if things are going well. Um, and, of course, you only have a little slit, because the woman doesn't want to be watched while she's having a baby. And so that's the new theory about that room. It just, um, a little shift in perspective can give you different information And what I get from this is that we all have blind spots and that we're blind to our own blind spots. You can't go, oh, yeah, I've got a big blind spot right here. (laughs) You just can't tell where yours are. And sometimes you're just... I do a lot of those word games for relaxation where you've got the scattering of letters and you make words out of them. And it's just amazing to me how you can just stare with your brilliant brain at these word, at these letters and not see a perfectly obvious word that's there. And when you go away from it for a while and come back, you go, oh my goodness, Santeria, that's the word or whatever. That's never that long. And um, it just jumps out at you, at your brilliant brain, which has apparently been working on it while you were gone. We don't know. But you can look right at things and not see them. That's one thing that I learned. And looking at things more in a relaxed way helps you see them. And I think we should do that with our connections with everything. So back to Jeffrey Lockwood. What he did, he was feeling the tension between getting to know these beings and getting to know these beings in order to kill them. Because he started loving them by getting to know them. If you get to know beings, you start loving them. Except fire ants. It doesn't work. (laughs) Not that I've tried. Not even tempted to try. But he started loving these grasshoppers, and he also had to kill them. So he found out by watching the grasshoppers that they had a range that they would hop all over the range. One grasshopper would just hop back and forth this big area. And the other thing he found out was that grasshoppers eat their dead. So if you have a dead grasshopper, that's going to get eaten. So what he started doing was he just took the the high-intensity pesticide they'd been using and started putting it just in stripes on the grassland just in stripes, so it didn't have to go in the whole grassland because he knew the grasshoppers would pass over the stripes and then they would die, and then they would get eaten, and then whoever ate them would also die. And then he found out that you could take a much less intense toxin and paint that in stripes over the grassland, and it would do something to the grasshoppers, just the grasshoppers, that would keep their carapace, I don't, I'm not an entomologist, but it would keep their body somehow from developing properly, and it would make it all thin and not work anymore, so they would die. And then the ones who ate them, same thing would happen to them, and they would die. And so this pesticide that he uses now, that's just a growth inhibitor for the body, um, 
It doesn't hurt the cows. It doesn't hurt the butterflies. It doesn't hurt the myriad other insects that are on the grasslands that are good insects for the grasslands. And he figured all of this out. He's using now, since 1990, he's using 90% less pesticide than he was using before. 90% just from watching and feeling a connection. I'm so proud that he's one of our own. (laughs) And so he's still destroying grasshoppers, but he hopes he can be less destructive of everything else around just by feeling his connection and honoring that. And so I'm wondering for us, can we, can we once in a while get a glimpse of our own separate self dissolving into the whole, the luminous whole. People who meditate say this happens to them, that they lose a sense of their individuality and they feel a sense of themselves as part of the luminous whole. And how would that change your perspective? And it's not just a passive thing, I think, also just... um, as Kelly was reading in the book to the children, there's a power in everything. There's that uh, force that through the green fuse drives the flower. Um, I think that's Dylan Thomas. But that force that drives, thank you, Gary, for your, your nodding to me. Appreciate that. Um, that is a force we can maybe use and feel coming up through us as well. And maybe we have felt it. And maybe if we're feeling depleted and, and separate and sad and invisible, there might be a way that we can tap into that force and feel it rising up through us and giving us new life. And that if we feel that we're not worth much, we can feel ourselves connected to the dolphins who everybody loves and the trees who everybody loves. And we feel ourselves connected to the rocks and the grass and the ocean itself. And we're worthy, not just because we believe we are, but because we're connected to everything May we feel the life within us. Now I invite you to join me in our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Please sing with me if you care to. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth 
and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.